Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is now an annual tradition, the WTS Christmas Special What's the Story podcast. Mero, are you going to sing us a Christmas song to kick off? No, no, absolutely not. It's, it's, the, it's the Christmas party. It's our Christmas party right. with our two mates. Do already, Danny. The wonderful and brilliant Paul Howard and the even more wonderful and even more brilliant Gary Mackle, um, who is coming to us live from... Are we allowed to say your location, Gar, or for legal reasons, can we not disclose? No, you can walk away. Okay. Walk away. He, he's coming to us from Santa Ponza, strip club in Santa Ponza. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was the Seychelles. Is that what it was? Is it Herdy Merdies? Is it Gar? Is that what you said it was called? Yeah, uh, the, there's a poster in, in the hall that says, Wash your fingers for the mingers. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for, the, for continuing this Christmas tradition of ours. I really appreciate it. Well, it wouldn't be Christmas without this, I have to say, you know, like this is, um, it, it, it's part of Christmas now, you know. Excellent. Love it. And before, before we get into everything, because I'll forget otherwise, uh, our, our mutual friend and all around good guy, Keith Kelly, um, has a project that will premiere this weekend. And Paul, you've played a big part in it. Um, it's the Pierce Rovers documentary. Well, I mean, it's very nice of you to say I, I, I played a big part in it. I, I mean, Mick and Keith did all the work and, and it's a fantastic documentary. And uh, they produce a script. And I went to Keith's house in Ashlawn last week and, or the week before last. And I spent like 17 minutes uh, reading out a script that they uh, that they wrote for me, you know. So and 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 of course, I, I go down as the narrator of this documentary, like you know. So everybody who everybody who sees it and hears it will think, Jesus, that was a great documentary Paul Howard made on this role. Put all the work in, but the lads have, but they just put in extraordinary work on it, and um, I'm really proud of my tiny, tiny, tiny part that I played in it and it's premiering premiering in um in Dunleary this weekend in the what's the big library the, the, the lexicon. lexicon the lexicon um at one o'clock on Saturday and um there's a limited number of people can go to that I got a VIP ticket because I was involved in the production I'm with the band uh, <laughs> but it's going to be available for everybody else to see and um, I'm delighted because it's um, it's really fantastic piece of work Indeed it is yeah we're looking forward to it keep an eye out for uh, Keith to Mix social media or the hashtag jumpers for goalposts uh, it'll, I presume we'll go on the jumpers for goalposts website Mero will it? I'm not sure I'd, okay. I'd, I'd assume so it will, yeah. Sure, he's monetizing the shite out of it now. Let's be that. <laughs> sure, I'm advertising all sorts of stuff on that. Like, I'm selling my car at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm in a, a, a white uh, 2012 Ford Explorer. Um, if you go on to get onto Keith Kelly's Twitter account, um, I've cut him in for 15%. Um, <laughs> he's doing lunch meals as well. He's going to be the Marcus Rashford of the uh, Borough. <laughs> He wants every child in the borough to have sriracha coleslaw on their sandwich by, by April 2022. And, and yeah. vouchers for Manly. <laughs> that is a, a song with 15 loaves of whippersnapper bread under his arm there a week or two ago. That must have been what it was. He's a great guy, Keith. And, and uh, I wish him luck with the, with the Pierce Rover stuff. It's brilliant. 
He is, uh, one of the, he's one of the borough's greatest people, like, you know, and like, you know, like I, I'm a different generation to you guys, you know, but like Keith Kelly was like one of the heroes of my childhood, you know, like the, like the Kellys were known as the Madness Kellys when I was a kid. And they were the Madness Kellys because they were all into madness in that house. They all had flat top, flat top haircuts and uh, stay pressed trousers and you know Keith still does by the way like yeah, Keith, Keith still like, wears that Keith yeah, my dad still wear those clothes yeah yeah Keith like Keith's Keith's clothes haven't changed since about 1981 <laughs> like you know he's still but but I I respect that like I he, he carries it off really well not everyone good he looks fantastic in it like you know he never <laughs> looks out of time or out of place I feel like I'm in Back to the Future when I meet him, like, you know? <laughs> but he looks great, and, but he's a brilliant guy. And, and, um, he's, he, and, and like, when I was growing up, and you guys are probably the same in Valley Brack, like, it was always about families, like, you know? There was always legendary families in the estate. You'd, we'd all sit around and talk about families that had a lot of big personalities and big characters in them, you know? And the Kellys of Lambay. Uh, there was two Kellys in Lambay. There were the Pump Kellys um, and there were the Madness Kellys. The Pump Kellys were called the Pump Kellys because they borrowed our, our bicycle pump in 1983 and never gave it back. Um, <laughs> they're still called the Pump Kellys to this day in our house, you know. And then there's the Madness Kellys because they were into madness. And the Madness Kellys were just one of those families. And it is amazing that, what's that, 30, 40 years later, uh, Keith Kelly still looms large in my imagination as just this giant figure, you know? He's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting you say that, uh, you know, the, the garb he dresses in and, you know, other people wouldn't look as well in it because I remember Gary describing Merrow's dad as a man who looks like an angry lesbian uh, in his outfit. And it just, <laughs> it's, it's stuck with me to this day. So uh, happy Christmas, Mark. Uh, I, hope I think I said an aggressive lesbian. An aggressive lesbian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He actually blocked me on uh, WhatsApp there for a couple of weeks, Mark Merrigan. He unblocked you on Saturday. Yeah, we, we got it over the line. He unblocked me and he apologised. Was, was there a reason for, for the block? Gary texts me dad sometimes more than me, for God's sake. I just like annoying Mark. Like he, when, we, when we designed Mero's bedroom last year. Um, this year, Gary. T-shirt, sorry, and, and the paint and all was delivered. He threw an all merciful hissy fit. There's not enough paint there for fuck's sake. You can't put tin on a ceiling. Had an absolute meltdown. And then halfway through the project, best paint he ever used. Jesus, you know, Gary has some imagination with colour. Um, but I just like boiling his piss when I can. I usually go I usually go at him on a Saturday morning. Like Gary, I I, I I'm no um you know, I'm, I'm no sort of aesthete, aesthete or whatever they call it, but the teal on the ceiling is gorgeous. Um, Mero sent me pictures of it. Uh, look, Lovely. Yeah. Who, and, and your listeners can't, probably can't see that. Of course they can't <clears throat> see that, you know, but to have light-colored walls, and Ga- Gary can advise me on the color of the walls. Um, and st- 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 stone... Stone slate, Graham. I think was it stone slate? Um, something stone grey. Yeah, with a teal ceiling. I mean, who? And to be honest with you, Gary, like I would have been dubious about that. Like you know, mm-hmm. and you know, in in defence of, of 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 Mark, like you know, I would have kind of looked. At, I would have heard that in theory and gone. 
that won't work. But Jesus, it's gorgeous. Like yeah, really, no, we're, we're we're very happy with the outcome. <laughs> Who does the interior design in your house, Paul? Well, um, we have a guy called Elton from Ballybrack. Uh, <laughs> you know Elton? Elton Hickey, yeah. Yeah, Elton Hickey. Yeah. Um, so we grew up with Elton, like, you know, and Elton, uh, <laughs> you see, everybody, you know the way you're, you'd be chatting to your, your mates and you say, oh, who did your ceiling? And you go, oh, well, I've no one to do the ceiling. And then someone says, oh, uh, we've got a man. And you go, whoa, who's this man? And then there's always this mythic figure in your life who is the man who does, you know what I mean? Like you have to find a man and Elton is our man. Like Elton, Elton can do anything, right? So you say to Elton, a bit of plastering needs done. And Elton will say, well, I don't do plastering. And then you just kind of, you just cajole him a little bit and go, ah, listen, Elton, you can do plastering. And then and he'd come along and he's like, he's like Michelangelo or something like, you know, do the best plastering job you ever had. And um, so Elton is our guy, but uh, Elton, Elton is absolutely brilliant at everything he turns his hand to. And the problem is that when somebody is that brilliant, they're in demand. So there's a waiting list for Elton, right? And we always like, we, you know, when we talk about Elton in this house, we always kind of quote the Elton John line. I think it's going to be a long, long time. <laughs> Elton, can you uh, can you paint our you know can you paint the the hallway? We know it's going to be a couple of months, like you know, because to get a good guy, you enter a wait, you enter a holding pattern, and you wait for this guy. And when he comes, he just works his magic, you know. So, I mean, I mean, he's not our interior design. He doesn't walk around like, you know, like Frank or something like that, sort of saying, you know, I think, I think something cappuccino in this hallway would be great. But ring him, uh, we would have the vision ourselves, and then we ring him, and then, you know, we suggest, um, we, we, we would suggest paints and stuff like that. Now, having said that, I've had some disasters in the house. Um, when Mary was away. Uh, <laughs> That's I, not a good sentence. <laughs> no, no, see, I, no, these are, these are painting disasters, Meryl, you know, like, so I, I, I got the crown, uh, sorry, the Dulux color catalog. Stay away from the Dulux color, color catalog. It's a disaster, right? Because you're looking at these big, these rooms in sort of stately homes where, you know, Gussie Fink and Ottle lives, right? And there's this massive room and they've got all the coving and all that kind of thing. And they paint the walls fucking deep blue, like a little a deeper blue than your Italian 95 jersey there, Meryl, right? Slightly deep, actually very deeper than that. It was kind of midnight blue. And I painted our hallway midnight blue. I didn't paint it. I got a painter to paint it midnight blue. And it wasn't Elton, but this guy was jollying me along telling me oh no it's lovely like it really is lovely and he left the house right? and i sank into a depression and, and and i'm not i'm not prone to depression but it was a depression that was purely uh triggered by the fact that my hallway was fucking blue right <laughs> dark blue and it ju- it just sort of induced this this funk in me like you know mm. so anyway i realized it was a huge mistake 
he did a great job. I mean, it looked lovely and everything, but it was just the wrong house for it. Like, you know, so I called him back the next day and I said, uh, it, it hasn't worked out. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of saying like, you're fired, I said, uh, can we maybe talk about another color? And he said, yeah. So I turned to the next page of the Dulux catalog, right? <laughs> there was an olive green, right? And the olive green was gorgeous. I mean, it was really gorgeous, right? If the room was the size of a football pitch. <laughs> but our whole stairs and landing could not accommodate olive green. And it was even more depressing than the blue. So he, he did that. Uh, and I said, yeah, that's great. He never got in the house ever again. Never, ever got in the house ever again, right? And I painted over it. Uh, and I remember this really, really clearly. It was the night Liverpool won the Champions League. Uh, against AC Milan in 2005, right? I watched the match in a friend of mine's house in Avoca, Declan Lynch from the Sunday Independent. Celebrated the match and I got home at about midnight and instead I couldn't sleep. So I got a, 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 a tin of white paint and a tray and a roller out and I painted over the olive green. And you can still see uh, little kind of traces of it around the light switch and around the coven and all that kind of thing but mostly I completely covered it over and that hall stairs and landing has not changed in the 16 years since then it's still white with a slight tinge of olive green coming through so that's basically my approach to uh, <laughs> to deep war lads this is um, this is our fourth annual Christmas special and two during the pandemic. How are all our heads? Gary, start with you. I'm fine. You know me, I just kind of truck along, uh, keep myself busy, um, doing what I need to be doing, washing my hands, sanitizing, wearing a mask, getting me, me vaccines. Um, cannot wait to see the end of it, obviously, because... <sighs> There's just no end to, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Omicron now, another variant. We're talking about, uh, we, we've people in the country who think there's lizards running um, every fucking news channel in the world. Um, I just can't wait to see the back of it. And, and I don't think that will be any time soon because I think somebody said to me the other day, only 6% of, say, Africa is vaccinated. You know, so they're still a long way off. But to answer your question, uh, I'm fine. But I, I long to see the end of this shite. Like, mm. long to see it. it it's, it's, you know, when you get to a point of something where it's just boring. Um, I, I nearly long for the day that uh, we're talking about fucking politics again. Brexit. Yeah, I, yeah, Brexit or fucking Joe Biden or something. Just t- nearly two years of this shite. Like, you know, Paul. <laughs> Groundhog Day, you know. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm I'm okay. Um, I feel really Christmassy today. Feel really Christmassy. I was at a Christmas concert last night, um, in Monkstown Church. Oh, lovely! Big lovely. Church of Ireland church, big, big, big Protestant uh, carry on. Is that the one in the middle of Monkstown? Is it the yeah. smack one? Yeah, yeah. Shouting, shouting, we are Protestants. <laughs> They're coming in. <laughs> in, in the Volca ham weavers and cinnamon 
a bit of uh, a bit of uh, av- smashed avocado toast and cinnamon, and you just hear this hum in the background. We are Protestants, right? <laughs> Church, Church of Ireland Church in the middle of Monkstown. I love it. I absolutely love it. And Paul Byram, who was a good pal of mine, was doing a Christmas concert there last night, and it was just incredible. I mean, it was just awesome. Um, and um, did he do Fairy Tale in New York? Yeah, no, no, he didn't do fair. No, no, he didn't. I don't. A Christmas song, Merrill. This podcast established that in recent years. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Yeah, here, but I mean, like, he he didn't do Fairy Tale in New York, but he did another song. That's a Christmas song without being a Christmas song, right? Which is River by Joni Mitchell. Right? Okay. I kind of think that's like Fairy Tale in New York in the sense that I could listen to that any time of the year. And I would kind of hear that there's a kind of Christmas ding, 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 piano at the start. And then the, the opening is, come on, Christmas, they're cutting down trees. But it doesn't, it's not a Christmas song in the sense mm. that I listen to it at a barbecue in the summer and I would kind of go, oh, that's lovely. And I'd be flipping me burger and putting a bit of pineapple on it and all that, you know. But that's an argument for another day. But Paul Byram last night was... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not getting away with that, yeah. Howard. Hang pineapple on a second. Pineapple on a burger? What? Pineapple on a burger. That's the, that's the most outrageous thing I've just said, is it? You're, you're hanging around with the Protestants too much, if that's normal to you. But you not have pineapple on a burger? Absolutely uh, not. What? You clearly never had a, a, a Hawaiian burger in Marcella's in Arklo. <laughs> pineapple on a burger is sensational. No. Pineapple on a burger. A... You've never done, a, you've never done a, 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 a dark and stormy pineapple on the barbecue? No. no. Absolutely not. Ah, lads, you're missing out. Hang on a second, Danny. You've never poured rum onto a plate, put <laughs> mashed peppercorns, poured them on, squeeze of lime, zest of lime. Right? Hey, how are you here? Crushed chilies on top, slap the slice of pineapple down on top, both sides, and then thrown it onto the barbecue, and then put it on a burger between two buns. Paul, what? What's happened to you in recent times, Paul? Nothing has happened to me. I mean, that's a, that's a culinary delight down where we live, right, Gary? Yeah, pineapple on a burger is beautiful. It's sensational. Beautiful. The pandemic yeah, is yeah. taking its toll on you, Paul. What's that? The pandemic is taking its toll on you when you're, when you're putting chilli and all on pineapple. I, I, I guarantee you, if you try it, you will absolutely if love you, it. If you walked into Palm Beach and asked for pineapple on a burger, Rito would hop over the counter and headbutt you. Well, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be totally frank with you now, Danny. Like, the first time I ever had pineapple on a burger was in Palm Beach. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an under-the-counter under the item. That they- <laughs> 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 you can go off-menu, right? Off- right? But there's a, 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 a place, a famous place in Bray called Henry and Rose. Yeah, right. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, you leave Henry and Rose without a pineapple on your burger, like you're you're considered a weirdo. The pineapple on burger is amazing. Amazing. How could you not like it? They go together like cheese and crackers, like you know cigars and arrogance. What are you talking about? Like? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> 
But you know, it's... I, I was going to say, I, I saw Paul Byram at this concert last night. That's one I want to talk to you about. And I don't want to hijack, I don't want to hijack this, but I just want to get some Christmas stuff in at the start, right? Paul Byram and Leah Bonneville, right? Who, who reached the semi-final in Britain's Got Talent about three or four years ago. Amazing singer from the borough extraordinary voice. She's a kid. She's like 19 or something, right? And Krista Berg on the stage in Monkstown Church singing Spaceman Came Traveling. Yes. I I wanted to bring this song up. And this, like this melted my head. This is just one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. These three incredibly talented singers with three very, very different voices. Paul, is a tenor, and actually, that's what it cost to get into gig last night. Um, <laughs> Christa Berg is, is Christa Berg, and Leah Bonneville is, just has this stunning operatic voice, right? And they sang as Spaceman Came Traveling, and it just, anybody who was there and heard this uh, will never forget it, right? Anyway, I was thinking last night, I was at this gig, and, and Paul, who's extraordinary, another legend of the borough, right? He finished the gig with Oh Holy Night, which I think is probably the greatest, uh, maybe the greatest Christmas. Uh, Carol, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that and Silent Night, and he sang Silent Night as well, you know? So anyway, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about this because I was listening to Oh Holy Night and I was thinking that Christmas for me changed when I stopped believing in God. Completely changed, right? The magic went out. Like, forget about, like, when you stop, like when you, when you stop believing in Santa Claus, it's a watershed moment in, in, in Christmas. You know, when you're... And what, what age are we talking here? When I stopped believing in God. Mm. Well, I, I, I mean, the thing is, like, Gary, like us all, I suspect, I never really did believe. But Father Hastings... Uh, got me when my head was soft and uh, so, so you know, it, 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 my, they filled my head with all the stuff and then, it, you know, it's got a 21, 22 when it all okay. I think, you know. Mm. But for me, uh, Christmas, the joy, and I, I, I was thinking about this last night, right? When Paul Byron was on that stage singing Oh Holy Night and he sang the line fall on your knees oh hear the angel voices oh night divine oh night when christ was born i remember a time in my life when that would have like brought me to tears would have brought me to tears right really so, yeah 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 completely <clears throat> and and it's not an accident meryl because christians christians understood music and they understood how to get you emotionally do you know what i mean like how to kind of prick your emotions and I was listening to that last night and I was listening to Silent Night, which is just such a gorgeous song, like, you know, and I just was thinking, like, forget Santa Claus. The moment I stopped believing in God was the moment Christmas changed for me and a lot of the joy ran out of Christmas. And I was looking at people there last night who still believe in God. And I was so envious I was so envious. And I know, 
you know, people tuning in to listen to this tonight, like they, they you know, they want to hear me and Gary talk about our favorite uh, quality street or, you know, Mr. Kipling Christmas cakes. Um, I like the Viennese worlds actually this year. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I thought we might, we might open a, a, a theological debate tonight, if that's okay with you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm game for this, Paul. Because yeah. What's the question? Well, actually, yeah, that, well, that, we'll start Are with that. Are you believers? No. No. Right. God, so no. None of us no. believe, Absolutely right? Absolutely not. We're, we're damned, right? We're four heathens, right? But did any of you ever believe? Well, I think you believe when you're kind of in primary school, don't you? Because you don't know any better. Yes. Yeah, when you're in primary school, you used to have the, you used to have the priest visiting the school maybe once every yeah. two weeks. Um, and you're doing communion and confirmation but I mean I think when you got to when we got to Lawrence's I suppose uh, and you're, they're still doing the masses and they're reading out verses of the Bible I was kind of going none of this actually makes sense do, do people actually believe this and you know it, be, it becomes then just another book um, to me when I was about 12 or 13 it's like people have just taken this book very very seriously and um, that's you know, I never, I understand what you're saying though, in terms of, you know, you're envious of people believing that, but I'm sure that might leave your body after this kind of period, um, you know, and, and you won't be thinking like that come January or whatever. Maybe. No, I, I think I, I think I do envy people who have faith. I mean, like I don't, you know what, like I'm, I'm quite a rational person. So, you know, I did arrive at a point in my life where I kind of, you know, I, I analyzed it and went, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a really good story, right? With a really, with a fantastic team and a great lesson, love one another and all that kind of thing. But just that, I mean, they, they call it the greatest story ever told, right? The, the nativity is the greatest story ever told. Is it and, though? And it really is because it's this sort of against all odds story. I mean, you know, like when you, when you watch thrillers, Hollywood thrillers, they're all kind of based on the same principle. Like, you know, like this family who are on the run, uh, there's a, there's a powerful man who's trying to track them down. Uh, they turn up at a stable and you kind of think, they turn up in an inn first and they're told, no, there's no room. And you kind of think they're goners. And the, the guy says, well, you can sleep in the stable. I mean, if you're writing a Hollywood blockbuster, the whole thing about writing movies is every like nine and a half minutes, you have to have an obstacle. And then you have to have a resolution to the obstacle and when the resolution happens, you have to come up with another obstacle. And the nativity satisfies all those things. Like, like fifteen hundred, like no, nearly two thousand years before anybody actually uh, sort of scientifically stated what a script should contain. Like the whole sort of the whole plot, the whole kind of narrative of you know, it starts there and it, then it goes there, 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 and then resolution, and then you know. Anyway, that's all. There's a kind of arc to writing a script, and if you, it's it's almost like the people who wrote the nativity story, uh, and I think they all had a crack at it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they all had their own version of it. Uh, it's like they understood exactly how to how to how to you know how to how to script a story. Was the greatest story ever told? Not um, 
the only fields and horses Christmas special 1985 when when Del Boy's father shows up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in many ways, like I'm, I had an experience last night, so I'm probably a bit religiously sensitive today, you know. But um, do, do you see that experience last night bringing you back? Yeah, but but only in the sense that I like I'm very nostalgic about old feelings. Yeah, about old feelings, and I and and you kind of have to watch them at Christmas time because you can actually mistake them for real feelings, like you know. But like, so I wouldn't I wouldn't enter a church. I wouldn't enter a Catholic church. Like you know, I'd go for funerals or weddings or whatever. I haven't been to a wedding in years, but I'm increasingly I'm going to more and more funerals now. You know. But um, I would still be sort of tied uh, emotionally to hymns, um, stained glass windows, the smell of incense, like all those kind of things. Those, those things that, and, and like I said at the start, like it, it's not a coincidence that they're, they draw you back in because stained glass windows are designed in that way with the colors to kind of get you to go, woo, like, you know, you're kind of hypnotized by the beauty and the colors of them. The smell of incense is exactly the same. Like it's, it's, um, it, it, it sort of sucks you in and the music and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I was very struck by it last night, you know, I really was. And I'm looking around me at all these people who really believe and like, they're not faking it. Like they, and I was probably faking it for the last sort of two or three years when I when I kind of claimed to believe, you know. But but I really I, I really kind of was I was there last night and I was thinking, Jesus, Christmas is not the same uh, when you don't believe. Like to me, like Christmas is a roast dinner now, mm. right? Yeah, I, like and once I, I, I'm with you, and I, I completely agree about the whole the hymns and whatever. Because, like you were saying, like the oh, oh holy night, there's there's particular versions of that song that would still move me to tears. Like I, I remember a couple of years ago driving home, uh, and the uh, Lyric FM were playing kind of I think it was Christmas Eve, and Lyric FM were playing kind of you know the 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 best of the best of kind of Christmas hymns and whatever, you know? So they had the Odesti Fidelis, they had Oh Holy Night, and it was the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and it was just big, powerful fucking organ piece and whatever. And I could I could feel myself welling up and whatever with it, you know what I mean? So it do, I, I get what you mean with it, but like... Well, mu- music does have the power to I, do that. I was gonna say, mu- mu- music, I think, can do that, and I think the, the sentiment with it and everything, but I just... Yeah, I, I, just, I, I don't like the nativity thing... I mean, I feel as though they've kind of borrowed bits of that here and there. Like, I mean, is there anything that, that, that went before Christianity that didn't have some sort of reference to these kind of things? It's a bit of Romulus and Ramus mixed with a bit of Egyptian mythology, mixed with a bit, mixed with a bit of stuff from the Far East. I just, and, in, and you mentioned the Spaceman Comes Traveling. That's a way better version of it. That It involves fucking sci-fi and an alien coming down. I'm more into that in terms of... The, the, the nativity story give me fucking spaceships and people not having a clue what's going on and I'm on board yeah I mean even the notion of following a star right <laughs> and if you think about it tonight like if you saw a star moving like they, they, they followed a star from what was it 
Jerusalem to Bethlehem, mm. uh, which is about fr- the distance from Shankill to, to Greystones. Like, <laughs> you didn't have a night link in those days, of course. Like, it's probably a bit down to dirt. And I've, been to, I've been to Jerusalem and Greystone and, and, <laughs> and Bethlehem and Cabantili, right? And if you were, t- can you imagine tonight following, you're sitting on a camel and you're looking up at a star and you see it move and you go, geez, I wonder where that's headed, right? You, you, like, you'd be thinking celestially. Do you know what I mean? You'd be thinking, that's mo- like that's moving into a different solar system. You wouldn't be thinking, Jesus, I think that's heading for Greystones. <laughs> <laughs> you believe it though. Like, so you're sitting on your camel uh, outside the horse and hound in, in, in Cabantili and this star moves and you go, Jesus, I think that's going to end up in the Burnaby, by the way. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> you follow it. No, so in, in, in no sense uh, do, does, does the story of the nativity, uh, you know, stand up to any kind of reasonable, rational <laughs> explanation, like, you know, astrologically or physically or any, in any way. Uh, but it's a great story, like, you know. It's a fantastic story. We debate it here in the house because we are putting the crib up this week, uh, as we do every year. We're putting the crib together. And Mary would be a firm believer that you don't put Jesus into the crib until Christmas Day. Oh, very good. Right? And, and apparently that's a tradition. It's a, tra- it's a tradition. And to do it is almost blasphemous. But my problem is, because I think like a script writer or a storyteller, I think, why are Mary and Joseph staring into an empty crib <laughs> the first week of December until the 25th of December? <laughs> what are they expecting to see there, right? She's pregnant, right? He is wondering how she's pregnant and they're sitting in a stable for almost four weeks staring at an empty manger, right? Uh, the baby's inside you, Mary. Why are you? <laughs> and then we have the debate about, so I say, I put my foot down and I say, right, if we're going to be historically accurate about this and you're, you're, you're keeping G, like, so we keep Jesus in the press underneath <laughs> underneath where we keep the crib he's there with the the, the backup quality street uh, in the press underneath right so I say if you're being historically accurate the three wise men don't arrive until the 6th of January so take them out they're going in on the 6th of January which is the day we take the decorations down so what's the point in even having the three wise men well if, it's, if, you, if you don't have a fate how come you have the crib well, well, Mary would have a faith, Mero, you know? Oh, okay. Uh, it's just a decoration a anyway, isn't it, though? You know, it's just... Yeah. Like, I, I, I More than a decoration in the Howards. I put my Star Wars figures in it and everything. I think this is fucking brilliant. So, like, I've seen a penguin in one during the week. That's even better again. But in, in Catalonia, they have... The, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's like this little fella who's... He's squatting, having a shite. And the, the idea of it, this like fucking elf on the shelf kind of thing, right? They, they hide him in the crib, in the nativity scene. And the idea is the kid in the house comes down every morning, has to try and find them. And if they find them, they, they get like a sweet or something like that. But it's a, it's a 
genuine tradition in Catalonia to have this little lad who was defecating and you hide him in the nativity scene. And I was like, that's, that's made better. Their independence and, you know, having heard that, that I, I think we should hold off on Catalonian independence. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're ready, lads. I just don't think they're ready. Like, if you heard that about the North, you would say, like, if you heard, like, you know, nationalists were doing that in the North, you would say, we're not ready for United Ireland. Let's wait years <laughs> before a border poll. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I love the theological um, route that this uh, conversation has taken tonight, lads. You know, we yeah, it's 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 not gone the direction I thought it was, Paul. But, no, no. But I I do like this. I like that we're it's out like it's on the table now. That the, the the true meaning of Christmas, the, tradi- the you know the the religious tradition. And do you have an nativity, Gary? Uh, no, no, um, no. But just to go back to what Paul said about churches, and he said something about stained glass and whatever. Like I, I don't have a faith, but I remember when my dad died, I was working in Dundrum, and for I had no business going into a church because I'm not religious. But it was a few days after he died. I said, you know what? I go in. I walked into the church in Dundrum, um, and I was the only person in it. And when the door shut behind me, it felt like a giant had pushed it. You know, that's how quiet it was. But uh, I sat down and it smelled like a church and all that. But I got this really strong smell of cigarettes. And I don't smoke, but my dad would have been a smoker. Now he was off some years. But for that split second, I felt, fuck, he was around there for a second. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Really felt it. Um, so I, I think you, I don't have a faith, but there's probably something that draws you back in your subconscious, if you get me. Um, but the, like, if you think about it from the late 80s up until really now, it, the church has been dragged through so much shit. So we're used to, as kind of eight-year-olds really, hearing all this stuff about priests and the church so we have probably been reared somewhat differently to that the generation before. Um, like the Catholic Church to me is a cesspit. You know, whether it be killing kids, selling kids, um, torturing them, whatever, hoarding land, um, facilitating paedophilia, really. That, that's what the church is to me. No, but that is that is what the church means to a lot of people, though. Do you know? So when like when it's so hard for people, I know all of those, uh, all of the the list there that Gary mentioned is not the fate. It's the people that deliver the fate. But it it is why a lot of people lost fate. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I like I I, I think um... as well as it not making sense though. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but but I still I still think the message of Christianity is is sound and is something that I would believe in, like, and I would struggle to live up to, which is, you know, you know, love one another as I have loved you. I mean, it it, it is like the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is still like the greatest kind of, you know what would you say? Like it, 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 it's the greatest kind of moral story of our times. Like it's a template for how uh, to live your life. And if everybody lived, their, if everybody could live their life in that way, 
then it would be a happier world. But like with everything, and I, and, I, and I mean everything, I'm talking about religion, I'm talking about wokeism, I'm talking about everything, right? The central message is really sound and a really good idea. And then we build bureaucracies around these things and we build rules and we build, uh, you know, the notion of original sin and we build the notion of wrong think people who, who, who kind of differ from, from, you know, from the consensus and we build in punishments for those people who think differently and, uh, and, and, and we essentially destroy the essential message. I mean, we've even created a bureaucracy out of heaven, you know, like, like Jesus in the Bible, you know, he talks about heaven and he talks about the afterlife, but never does he mention a communion of saints that you can pray to. And that's like kind of essentially like Dunleary Ratdown uh, County Council where, you know, oh, Eamon Gilmore ha- who it like has the air of that person and, you know, Betty Coffey and Jane Dylan Byrne have the ear of that official. So if you want something done, ring them or pray to them. Like we, we essentially created a civil service out of religion. Uh, and, and, and we kind of gave it the, the sort of civil service death touch. You know what I mean? We just sort of destroyed it by overthinking it with our flipping human thoughts, like, you know? And so it went from being this incredible celestial thing to being essentially an extension of Leinster House, <laughs> right? So, like, there's, do you know what I mean? Run like, by, the, run by the Rural Independence uh, Coalition. But, the, but the, but the heaven is the heaven we've created is full of Jackie Healy Rays, like you know, Michael Healy, Healy Rays. Like, you can actually find this stuff on the internet. There's a paint. There's a saint for everything, right? There's a saint for. There's a saint for corns on your feet. There's a saint for the internet. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. Paul, there's a saint for the internet. So if something goes wrong on the internet, you can pray to saint such and such of such and such, and he's your guy, right? So he's your Michael Healy Ray in heaven. So he's going to go to God uh, if you, you know, if you sort of, if you if you follow it through to its logical conclusion. This Michael Healy Ray guy, who's the who's the patron saint of the internet, is going to go to God and go, you know, who's after being praying to me there, Gary Mackle. Oh, what's happened with him? He lost the document earlier on, and, <laughs> and he said, but did he not? Did he not save it? Yeah, he did, but he saved it to the cloud, and there's some kind of, you know, some, some sort of problem with the cloud. And God goes, do you know what? Fucking give it to him. Give it back to him, you know. And then Gary gets his document back, and. He goes, it's a miracle. <laughs> and I've done, <laughs> even since I stopped believing in God, I've done this with St. Anthony, like praying to St. Anthony for stuff like, you know? And it is, he's basically, he's Stephen Donnelly up in West Wicklow. He's in kind of the West Wicklow of heaven or the East. Where is he, West Wicklow? Has uh, Matty McGrath made an appearance at all? Matty McGrath's up there, you know? <laughs> And of course, like you know that, and but but we've turned we've turned heaven into this sort of parish pump uh, place where everybody has the has the ear of God, and someone will put a word in for you because we simply cannot conceive of the the heaven that Jesus talked about in the Bible. We have to we have to sort of place our kind of human construct above it, you know. 
But even, uh, even all that stuff, Paul, it, it's just a rinse and repeat of what went before it. You know, so that's like, it's... Uh, <sighs> right, so, like, it, it, all, all the saints, like you said, you have a saint for everything now. They're just the gods of ancient Greece replaced with more modern titles, you know? And when we talk about people being punished and whatever, Prometheus punished by Zeus having his liver pecked out by an eagle on the cliff every day. All these kind of, it's just these modern, more modern constructs applied to all these previous religions that existed. And it's, it's that kind of thing that I go, ah, fuck it, they're all just borrowing each other's homework, aren't they? Yeah, but see, that's the thing. You, you can't arrive, uh, like, you, you know, when the, when, when the Roman Catholics were kind of doing their tour uh, around uh, Europe and the Middle East with their message, you can't just suddenly rock up and say, absolutely everything you've ever believed is horseshit. Here's the thing. Uh, and, give, and give people a new religion. So what you do is, you sort of tell them that, well, look, actually, you were almost right. These bits, you know, you remember that winter solstice you believed in? That's fantastic. But we've got this thing. It's called Christmas. It's three days or four days later. It's very similar, but it's called Christmas. So they, it was like they put an overlay over existing religions because it was too much of a culture shock for people to go, what? You know, this is, to- this is completely new. And it's the same with, Mor- with Mormonism. You know, you can't, like Mormonism's great failure was they, they pushed people too much, too far. And what happens in those cases is people are kind of looking at, what's the guy's name? Smith, was it um, Smith? Uh, it was was uh... the Mormon religion. And they just went, ah, oh, lads, that's a bit too much. And they battered him to death. And, uh, you know, so, so there, I mean, there were loads of martyrs in, in, the, in the Christian faith, but they were always the ones who pushed it a bit too far, you know, who didn't kind of, you got to do, so, do a little bit for the home crowd, you know? <laughs> There's always someone that ruins it. You got to do some of the early stuff. It's like, you know, it's like if a band comes and they're playing a gig and they go, you know, every single song, they go, here's something from our new album. And after a while you go, ah, here. <laughs> you know so the, like the solstice and all that that's your, that's the early stuff so you have to you have to give them the greatest hits right so you have to give them listum var listum var yeah right you have to give them don't forget your shovel what else joxer you got to give them joxer goes to stuttgart ordinary man Four or five songs in, you go, here's something from my new album. And people go, okay, well, I'll listen to this with open ears. And that's religion. I'm just, I think the analogy is very good. That's yeah. Yeah, a great way. I like that. the analogy. Is that our intro? I don't know what that is, but I feel enlightened after it. <laughs> can I, can, can, I want to go back to a spaceman came traveling. Can we talk a little bit about Chris DeBoer for a minute? I think Paul went back to Chris DeBorg's last night and they were taking DNT or something. <laughs> 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 well, Chris told me the story of a spaceman came back in, right? And it's an amazing story about how he wrote it. And I wish I could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but like Gary said, uh, you know, it was a long night, but anyway, essentially, uh, 
Chris, it was in the early 1970s, right? And Chris had been playing, um, and I call him Chris because he's a pal of mine, right? So let's not let's not skirt around this, right? <laughs> you, you, you and Chris are on first name terms now. Chris, Chris um, uh, or, or C, as I call him, I know. Him. <laughs> um, so, but but Chris was was playing Captain America's on Grafton Street with his guitar, right? Trying to make it, and he went to London, and he was living in London, and he was living in a in a in a flat with a friend of his. And he read a book, and I can't remember the name of it, so it's completely useless, right? Uh, it was Something of the Gods. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Something of the Gods, right? Um, you'll find it on Amazon. <laughs> um, anyway, he, he read... Anyway, it was all about... Uh, it was a sort of um, fusion story of Christianity and science fiction. And that's where a spaceman came traveling came from it is without a shadow of a doubt the strangest christmas song ever written um but i love it like you know i'm with so you i heard it i must put it on have you, you never heard of spaceman came to- oh, you definitely have gary sing it for your episode i just haven't listened to the song ah yeah ah okay okay um and chris there's there's a point when it's reaching its crescendo where the the, the vocal range of Chris DeBoer is exercised in a way that it's an experience. It's beautiful. And he did it last night in Monkstown Church, Danny, and he hit notes last night, you know, and Paul Byram and Leah hit notes as well. And it was a, it was a very spiritual experience. Like I'm, I'm kind of a bit changed today. You'll probably notice a bit of a, a difference about me today. Like I thought it was just a Stalorgan apartment, to be honest. It, it'll, it'll wear off you by tomorrow evening, Paul. Don't worry about <laughs> That's it. That's what I said most of you, Paul. <laughs> I tell you what, Gary, it, ne- it w- nearly wore off me today, right? I was in the post office and um, I was posting. Um, you love the post office, don't you, Paul? Yeah, some of me, some of me, uh, the, some of me testiest moments come in the post office, like you know. <laughs> That's what brings the real, the real anger out in me is the is the post office. And I was standing there today, and Mary had asked me to post some. She was posting some Mister Kipling Christmas cakes to a friend of hers in Holland, in uh, who lives in the Hague. And I was standing in the queue, and I didn't mind that we were queuing for like nine minutes, right? Or 10 minutes, whatever it was. There was a woman in front of me. She got four or five parcels to post and she had to tell the value of each and fill in a customs document. I didn't care, right? But the guy behind me just kept tutting, right? He kept going, right? Now, like, it just annoys me so much. He just kept going. <sighs> and it just... It just got me, it stressed me out. Not not waiting. I don't mind waiting. I'd have waited for an hour, right? But him. So I just turned around to him and I said, do you know what? Maybe if you sighed a bit louder and, you know, twice as often, the queue might move a bit fucking faster. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he sort of backed it, like he kind of looked at me and thought, Jesus, like, you know, so we backed it. Because I wasn't ready for a confrontation. Uh, but it doesn't take much now for, for to, just to sort of pull me out of the the, the feelings of um, celestial spiritualism, mm. <laughs> especially in the post office. 
either po- like you know like there's no it's no excuse like it's no coincidence that the phrase going postal uh, <laughs> somebody went postal like you know that that it happens in the post office there's just something about queuing and the tension and are you going to get your your parcel posted and um it it, it just sort of contributes to that you know I don't like post offices. I'm kind of lucky that we have an amazing post office in Avoca. Um, and uh, the postmistress is, is, is Mary. She's a Liverpool fan. And uh, she's, you know, obviously brilliant. Like, you know, she's a fantastic <laughs> person. And she's really helpful. And she's really cheery when you go in. But I would have to say that that would not be uh, typical of my experience in post offices uh, not just in Ireland, but in, in, in the wider world as well. Do you think, do you think they'll ever privatise post office, Pa? Yeah, I mean, I, I did say to a, a post office worker once, like, you know, that the day, the day they privatise the post office, you will be sacked at about 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, and, and I remember, I, I, I'm not going to name the post office, like, but I'd had... James Grant. i have had problems, like, for... <laughs> problems many many times going in there right but one time i went in there gary right it's about three years ago wasn't christmas it was christmas actually it was christmas and i had a parcel and i was posting it and i'd pre-bought the stamps and i don't know why she was annoyed that i pre-bought the stamps and i was just handing the parcel in to be posted right I bought the stamps a couple of weeks earlier and she weighed it to make sure I had the right amount of stamps. And I did have the right amount of stamps. And she said to me, she looked at the parcel and she said, they shouldn't be on the left-hand side. They should be on the right-hand side. Right. I stopped. Uh, right. Right. And I went, just like, does that re does that really matter? <laughs> right. And she said to me, well, maybe not to you, but I can't guarantee it'll be delivered. <laughs> kind of think is it really that tenuous do you know what i mean like is is the whole relationship between the man and the postal service really so tenuous that if you're a couple of inches out with the placement of the stamps a postman will go no nah, i'm fucking that in the bin i suspect it isn't because postmen are always lovely people i've had cards letters delivered to my house and it just says Paul Howard, Avoca, Wicklow. And John, our local postman, who's an amazing guy, like, you know, he'll go, oh, another one for you. Look at that address. You know what I mean? Like, it, and, it's, and it gets there. And postmen are in the sorting office, like, challenging themselves, saying, you know, I just imagine them, like, out of a Christmas movie, like the Santa Claus or something, going, I, am, I have to get this card. <laughs> yeah, much fan mail, Paul? Uh, Fan mail? No, no, no. That was a that was a solicitor's letter, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you do get fan mail, though. No, no, not really. No, no. Oh, you do, me. Paul. You definitely do. Stuff you send me, Gary, or you, Mero, like. <laughs> yeah. well, not no, not really. No, I'd love yeah, a no. I'd love a stalker or something to send me. Um, you know, stuff I mentioned earlier. I love those Viennese worlds that Mister Kipling's doing this year, and. Um, uh, I like the, the peanut M and M's and stuff like that. But like, just if anyone's out there listening, they wanted to stalk me, 
but, but no, there's been nothing like that, sadly, you know? Have, have you tried the peanut? Roll, Gary, like, you know, it's not like nobody ever stood in front of the mirror and played, um, played air laptop. You know, people play air guitar. Like, that's what you dream of. But what I do is not, it's not rock and roll. Like, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be getting, like, people throwing themselves at you because they liked an <laughs> or something, you know? Danny, remember I, I got hate mail? Uh, I vaguely remember you getting hate mail. Yeah. There was a there was a fake spider in it. Really? Yeah, we were up in the hotel. We we're in the room where we used to record, and the reception said Graham. And I says, "Yeah," and she says, uh, "There's post here for you." I was like, "What the hell is this?" And I was thinking, "Jesus, Danny, do you think someone's out there sending us a package or whatever?" So I went down. It was a letter, it kind of a bit bulk, bubble wrap, and um. Opened it in front of Danny, and a fucking fake spider jumped out. Plastic spider jumped out. Was and a it, fake spider was it? It might have been a handful of somebody's pubes. <laughs> <laughs> which, which brings us on to our sponsor, Manscaped. And if you go, to <laughs> it said they were sick of my. What happened son? to Manscaped, lads? Uh, there was just, no mention of them. I noticed at the top of the program. Yeah, creative differences, Paul. And we've we've shaved ourselves to the point where we've got rash now, so we had to give it a break. <laughs> they There's asked no Mero They asked Mero for feedback and he sent them a picture. <laughs> 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 Smart Alec here, wasn't it, Gary? <laughs> well come here, why did you get hate mail? It said um it said in the uh, it was only like two sentences, uh two Graham, please shut up with your socialist rhetoric. Um, tanks and the spider popped out yeah. and I came home and uh, I was me and Danny were laughing about it like it was like Maria Bailey <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I came home and I said it to me mum and dad and my dad broke a shy laughing my mum was petrified what if they knock at the door I was like would you fucking stop they, se- they sent it to the hotel not to the house Jen it's alright like. yeah it's alright but I, st- I still don't know who sent it to this day because Sounded it looked like a prank, you know. It was like it's like it looked it looked like it was sent from a website as opposed to somebody. Was it you, Paul? Did you tell him, Gary? <laughs> was it yours? <laughs> <laughs> was it? No, no. You never know now. I, I thought it was yours, though. That's about four years ago. Raped on it, Meryl. Huh? We were the ones who sent the bullet with your name scraped on it. <laughs> <laughs> English Defence League Gary have league. you any um, stories for us or anything off your mind or anything you need to get off your chest you've been quite quiet I know Paul took over there with his theological well, uh, I, 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 I didn't expect it to go down the route that it went but I enjoyed it um, no I'm in good form um, I'm uh, glad Ollie is gone obviously not having to look at poison every week. Um, looking forward to seeing where it goes with Ralph. Looking forward to Christmas. Um, busy in work. Kept going. Um, I'm and I'm. Yeah, like we we were doing a thing in work where, um, we go live to a shop every Saturday. So one of the staff members will grab one of the punters and the shop and the punter will go live on the screens and on the next race if he picks the winner everyone in the shop gets 20 quid free bet or if the bet loses nice everyone gets a tenner so 
the Greystones shop rang me and said, listen, we're going live in 20 minutes, but there's no one in the fucking shop. So I said, fuck. So I said, I know what I'll do. I said, I'll ring Pat of mine, Dave Malone. Um, absolute fruitcake. But I said, Dave, are you are you at home? He said, yeah, yeah, what story? I said, any chance you'd boot down to the shop like just needs to do something for a few minutes he said yeah yeah man when do I need to go down I said now he said yeah I'll boot down I went good man good man and the minute I hung up the phone I thought oh fuck <laughs> the fuck did I ask Malone to do it for so I said fuck so I got on with me morning and uh, I rang uh, Goffo Goffo's managing the Greystone shop now I said did uh, Malone go down and do the Paddy versus Bunter thing he says, yeah, yeah. I said, how did it go? He said, yeah, well, we got it over the line anyway. So they went live into the shop and uh, they said to Dave, is there many people in the shop, Dave? And Dave said, yeah, I haven't seen as big a crowd uh, like this since I went dogging there a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing. <laughs> but you know, when you have that moment, I, I'll get Malone, Malone will go down. And the minute I hung up the phone, I went, oh, good fucking night. The last <laughs> person in the world. Um, but now life is just kind of, this, it's the same every week at the moment, isn't it? Because we're in this funk the last, what, 19 months now, are we? Mm, and uh, it's just, like we were saying earlier, just can't wait for normality. Um, looking forward to uh, looking forward to um, this shite being over, you know. Yeah, it's uh, just when you when you when you talked about your, your calling upon a friend when you were in need there, Gar. It just actually, I'm triggered by it to be honest with you. Of a bound of a bound to pick up Graham Merrigan. And uh, oh, yeah. my my shot of fame, Graham, uh, stopped airing a number of weeks ago, and you still haven't supported it. Uh, <gasps> I, I want to bring it up with, with witnesses on the call. I haven't, now I haven't supported what? See, he's even acting like he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Gogglebox. We're talking about gogglebox. I'm a gob- gogglebox, and you, you you're clearly not a fan, Merrow. You know he, what? what you no, want? He, he claims he's a fan, Paul, and yet it sat on a skybox. The, the show finished airing six weeks ago, and he hasn't watched I it. Know, I watched every episode. Thank you, I, Danny. I thought you were excellent on it. Actually, great Thanks. show. Thank, thank you. I watched the first three, and then the rest are on series link. Oh, all right. your tone has changed now, Graham. I didn't know what you were on about. You caught me off guard. Mm. I only ever do this when, the, when Dylan it? Ben are on. City when Merrow was in it. Paul, not only did I watch it, I, I rewound it, I recorded it on my phone so I'd have a pirate copy of it, and <laughs> I put it up on Pornhub so people could see it around the world. <laughs> no, no, greater, uh, no greater gesture could a friend you know? make, I think. That's <laughs> this, this is it. Like, I mean, I have travelled to, to watch Graham uh, play basketball. I've, I've cheered him on from the sidelines. I've took tours of Carrickstown uh, with I Love Rocco t-shirt just to try and plant the seed to bring him back. And there I am sitting on his skybox for a number of weeks now and not even a text message of, well done, that was a good episode. Nothing. Nothing. You've done, you've, you've done very easy for me to say, but you've done really well. Thank you, you Gary. Thank you. Um, did you enjoy doing it? I, did, I had an absolute blast doing it. Yeah, I would have loved if, you know, uh, I got support from friends. 
friends. <clears throat> yeah. I got supported the ones that I watched. I texted you asking you questions and saying, you're dead. you weren't on it enough for the first three episodes. Interesting. You, you should have been on it a lot more. It's, it's Is that not Graham in a nutshell, though? If it doesn't revolve around him, no. Here we go. This he is, doesn't want you know, to know. Here this we is go. It. This is it. Paint me in a in a horrible light. No, but we're just we're just talking openly in an open forum. I like, supported I mean, you when you were on Frank. I didn't need your support when I was on Frank. Right. No one's ever seen. No one. It's not a. It's nowhere to be seen. Well, one point seven million people who viewed it over four settings might might uh, disagree with that. Can't be wrong. One point. What was it? One point seven million people viewed it over four sittings. He's lying there, Paul. You didn't even see it. I'm Paul. not fucking lying. Yeah, I'm lying. I'm not lying. Was, How was do you know it? those figures? Because I was given uh, them by the publisher. <laughs> they are supplied. Coco Productions. Coco Productions supply them figures. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't it? Sy- wasn't it syndicated in in several international markets, Gary? Of course it was. Sure, I was on. I was on a podcast in Iceland about three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you were. I was, Graham. No, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and be sneered at uh, by you. I'm the only podcast in town, and I say that as somebody who recently appeared on the Two Johnnies. Oh, you dirty rat! Oh, yeah. oh, 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 it's all coming out now. It's all coming out now. Very surprised. I no idea. That, th- that there was this cultural sensitivity relating to the two Johnnies, that they're basically the bogger version <clears throat> of What's the Story. Well, uh, listeners of What's the Story should be aware that when it came to light that Paul Howard uh, was on the two Johnnies, we have a WhatsApp group and it got very hostile towards Paul. It did. And it's usually a friendly place. I would, I would consider that a safe space, Gary. <laughs> Well, you're you're lucky that we didn't go to town on you. That's all I'll say. Oh, I mean, I would, no, but I still felt it. I still felt the heat. Like I would consider that, um, you know, like I said, I would consider that usually a very, very safe space for me. The kind of the kind of place where I could usually admit that, you know, I just think Seamus Heaney's poetry is okay. Um, <laughs> but suddenly it 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 turned dark. It wasn't a friendly place. Um, I was waiting to see the little blue message Paul has left. Yeah, I mean, all I did, Gary, was was was, you know, was appear on this rival podcast, and we're just wondering why. Well, it's not, well, hang on, I'd, I'd like to clarify something here. Well, Actually, he's trying to grow his brand. We're we they're not rivals. We've we've not we've not more podcast probably six or seven times, as you said at the top of the show, and you know, we, we, and <laughs> you guys are great. But, but it hasn't helped grow my brand outside of Dublin. And I really needed to connect with people in, in, in Roscommon and Leitrim and Tipperary. But Paul, uh, none of those counties have the internet. So, so I'm not... <laughs> well, they have dial-up, you know. They have, <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, they made their pitch to me and I said, guys, I, I love what you're doing. Um, and I, I got in the car... And it wasn't like here where I just, I'm in my sitting room and I just, I just fire up the laptop and click on the link. I drove to Care County Tipperary to appear on that show. Really? You must have been paid. Did you get mileage? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No mileage, no payment, no money exchange hands. I wouldn't. On a promise. Uh, I wouldn't insult anybody by take, by, you know, taking money. Um, no, it was, it was just purely for, I love their show. I love what they're doing. 
it's a it's a different kind of podcast. Oh my good god! I I I think they're I think they're talking bollocks now. I think they're terrific. That's nope. another. He'll be on that next. Yeah, he'll be on that next. I've I've I feel as though this is the the we're the secondary school girlfriend, and it's the summer after sixth year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rory <laughs> McElroy. You're McElroy's first girlfriend. <laughs> what was her name? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Danish one he went off with. Yeah, yeah, the Danish tennis player. Yeah, the two Johnnies are the Danish tennis player. The two Johnnies are her, but... Yeah. He didn't marry her in the end. He went off with somebody else, didn't he? That's right, yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, Paul, yes. I just... That'll, do you know what that'll be? That'll be... Uh, Joanne McNally and Vogue Williams podcast. Listen. But I'm asked to go on that, lads. Oh, <laughs> Look, all, all I'll say, I'll, let you. All, all I'll say, Paul, is the, the, the two Johnnies have, have sold out the tree arena. They're brilliant at what they do. But they'll, they'll never bring you to the tree arena with them. But you don't forget, we've brought you to Fitzpatrick Castle. And if we're in the tree arena, you know, there'd be, there'd be at least an exchange of text messages checking if the date was free. That's, you know, Lads, I couldn't sell out the Well Theatre in Greystones last week. There was restriction, like we were cut to 50%, you know, but Wicklow County Council had to come in at the last minute and, and, uh, and, and basically financially support the gig uh, to ensure everybody got paid. And I'm not complaining. It was a brilliant gig. And I love, I love that theatre in Greystones. It's just the best... I think it's the best small venue in Ireland to play a gig. Did they play God Save the Queen before the gig? <clears throat> What's that, Meryl? Did they play God Save the Queen before oh, the, the oh, gig? Actually, you know, because you're in, you're in England there, you know? Like, that <laughs> is... Um, you're, you're, you're in... Uh, like, I, I, I call them... I call Greystones a south, a south Side Scaries for Protestant underachievers. <laughs> it essentially is really like, you know? It's yeah. like Protestants who... Who were like you know when you look at a Protestant who hasn't really really made it and you think what went wrong there? You, you know the way Protestants like they're just better at stuff, aren't they? It's a Paul, garden, are you part, on, garden um, part of the world. Paul, are you on that um, Irish fight thing? No, what's that, Meryl? It's basic. Did you ever hear a cameo? No. Where like people? No, it's like people in the public eye. So he only has WhatsApp the last year. He's hardly heard a fucking cameo. I was going to say, Meryl, you're pushing no, the his, his representatives might suggest it as an extra earner. Basically, uh, you if you were to go on it, say even as Ross, you'll you'll have all Black Rock lads saying, "Hey, uh, Ross, can you play a message? You charge fifty quid for a treat." Roddy Collins is on the Irish Foy one. He's on the Irish oh. one. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he charges about, I think it's 75 euro. And For a message. He, he's always sending out like birthday messages and his mates, like say if I was down it for Gary, I'd write out a script and ask Roddy to do it. And Roddy does it in his sitting room beside the fire. <laughs> 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 I do that stuff for free. He would say to me, oh, will, you do, will you do a message for my brother-in-law's wedding? And I do that for free. Maybe I should get on that as well, you know. Yeah, but you do a bomb if you're doing Ross stuff, pal. Yeah, maybe. Big time, tell you. Maybe I should get Rory Nolan can act it and I'll write it or something. Yeah. 
Oh, he's a genius, isn't he, Rory? Dundalk Football Club, um, were, they were, I think they were sponsors. And they got your man um, from The Sopranos. And he's on it. Who? Sada, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the character's name, Sopranos? He was the gay character, the, the fat lad. Pussy, um, no, not pussy. Um, not pussy. Um, Vito, was it? Yes. Yes. Vito. So the, the Vito... They sent Vito over Dundalk jerseys and scarves and hats and all. And uh, they wished Dundalk a, a good season and good luck in the cup final and all. It's off that website, Irish Boy. That's fucking mad. Yeah, yeah. But Cameo is the American one where you can literally get anyone from Cher to Britney Spears to any of them where they, you pay them like $250 to, for a birthday greeting, a personalised video. But would she, like would Britney and Cher be so loaded? Like you know, like I just kind of think if I was Britney or Cher, like I just get up in the morning, like I get up at eleven o'clock and just wander down and you know have a breakfast and just step yeah, out. sure, surely the likes of the likes of Britney, Cher could shine into a bag and sell it for a hundred grand. I'd imagine <laughs> at, at least. Not just sitting on her phone doing a video for two hundred dollars. I just I just threw those names out there, but there are people of those caliber on it. Hmm. But why would they be bothered doing that for fifty quid, Marrow? Like you know. <laughs> well, the the, the give, higher give back to their fans. The higher the rank of celebrity, the more they charge. Like Donald Trump Jr. was charging two grand a pop for a video. But right? even two grand, like if you had their kind of money, would you be bothered? Like you know. Yeah. Two grand for 30 seconds work though. I mean, but there's Irish people that get Roddy Collins to do it. He's making money off it. Right. Yeah. But you'd get more money from doing that than you would managing a League of Ireland team, wouldn't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that not true, Mero? Like, what do you get for managing the League of Ireland team? About 100 quid a week? Ah, no. Stop that, Paul, would you? Would what you is it then? League of Ireland, like. Yeah. Be about a thousand, would it? Be about, they'd be about a thousand. Sure, I'd be doing that if it was a thousand. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'd be managing Liverpool if it was that. Oh, yeah, I'd love to manage Liverpool. You couldn't manage a good shy, Paul. Jesus, that's harsh, Mero. <laughs> you're a shareholder of Shamrock Rovers, aren't yeah, you? I'm a member and a shareholder, yeah. Yeah, so what's the what's Stephen Bradley getting? I wouldn't know that the specific information. Why not as a shareholder? Well, you don't know. Like you be you when you become a member. You're not a shareholder. Then you're a fucking Asia who pays a premium to be called a shareholder. I'm a shareholder in three companies, Graham, and I know the salary of the CEO of each of those companies. It's like me saying I'm a shareholder in Sky because I I I get the football every week, Meryl. Yeah, but that's your season ticket, Paul. You watch your team on the telly. I go to the match. <clears throat> Oh, for God's sake, it's the stupidest argument. It's, a, it's a cult, isn't it? It's a little cult. He has no oh. information. He has no idea what's going on behind uh, the scenes. I, I, go, I go to League of Ireland matches, right? In the same way I go to Mass. <laughs> like, about twice a year, the guilt hits me and I go, I really should go to a League of Ireland match, right? Like I, I say, I really should go to Mass. And then I go, and then about half an hour in, I go, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, That's because you're going to Bray Wanderers. And then, I leave, and then I leave before the communion and then I'm sitting at home going, I won't be doing that again. And then about six months later, the guilt gets me again, like, you know? So That's because you're going to Cabin Teeley before you're giving them their talks. Yeah, I've been to a few. Ah, yeah, McWilliams had had me in there giving a few pep talks in the dressing room before matches and stuff like that. <laughs> 
but I've tried I've tried a lot of clubs in the League of Ireland and I just find I do find the football uh, I find the football uh, or good or uh, a lot of times is that fair to say Meryl? Say that again, Graham. Your mic didn't kick in. That, that's your opinion. If you think it's poor, you think it's poor. I enjoy it. I love it. I more than is enjoy it, it. I love it. Is, is it fair to say you're a man of poor taste, Graham? Uh, no. Okay. Do you think you've let yourself down at all with some of your statements over the years? No. Do you think you've let yourself down? That's, I'm a guest who's asked you a question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've answered you. Lads, 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 lads. It's Saviour's Day in a week. Come on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's Saviour's Day. Yeah. I've been picked on here because I'm a League of Ireland fan. Well, Fuck well, you, the Subject of League of Ireland because it, you know, it, it's a, it's a very depressing subject. You know, and let's talk about Christmas. Mm. Now, uh, is there Santa in your in your house, uh, Gary? Like, would, would are there believers in your house? Yeah, we've have two people who who interact with it. Yeah. yeah. One of them, it's probably their last year. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the other, uh, yeah, we've somebody with about five years left, yeah. The other individual, yeah, we've yeah. two, we've two, we've yeah. two, uh, we've two elf on the shelf on the go. All oh, right, okay. Um, is that hard work, Gary? Oh, it's a nightmare, especially if you've had a couple of bottles of wine and you, 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 you settle in bed. Oh, fuck the elves. And <laughs> what's the point in it, Gary? What is it? What's just the, it, the it, magic it, of it, Christmas, Graham? Would we'll you yeah. stop that? Magic of Christmas. It's like the way you still wear Macho Man Randy Savage underwear, Graham. You I'm still believe. You still, you, you still believe in the wrestling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Randy has the Goldust onesie. I have the Dusty Rhodes onesie. It's um, it's, H- it's a bit Hulk of fun. Hogan. Hulk Hogan tops the tree in this house. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, no star or angel, just a Hulkster. But I am being sincere about the elf from the shelf. I don't really, I don't really understand or what the objective is or well, it's a very how, how kids get excitement from it. I don't know what it is. You move it around the house, and the kids go, oh, "I was there last night, and now it's there." And the exactly. idea, but but I, I have seen it described as an as an ancient Irish tradition. Now I don't remember that at all in my childhood. I really don't like it. Was never a thing. But when I was in Monkstown Church last night at the at the concert given by by the the great Paul Byram, right, uh, I noticed there was an elf on the shelf uh, on the altar of the church. Now I don't know who put it there, but I do know the Protestants. They're not they're not into statues. The whole kind of idolatry thing is not a part of the of the Church of Ireland faith, you know. So there's no Virgin Mary, obviously, in the church. There's no statues of Jesus or Joseph or anything like that. But there was a little elf on the shelf sitting on the altar, and I thought that was mad, you know. Now, unless unless somebody put it there, who came, one of the one of the crowd put it there, you know. But I, I thought it was kind of interesting. It creates a little bit of magic around, a little bit of crack, and. Um... Keeps them on their A game because oh listen they fucking the elves are listening to all this carry on now they'll be very disappointed. Is is that one of the good benefits at this time of year where essentially any any misbehaving out of a child at all and it's just oh he's watching. Well, it doesn't work. It's been a fucking kip here lately for behaviour. <laughs> um, How so? Um, I just 
the, the standard isn't where it needs to be. Um, the, 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 they need to take a long look at themselves, Gary. Do they? I just fucking pair of pricks at times. <laughs> but um, is there one worse than the other? No, it's just it, it's it's. Do you know you're repeating yourself a lot? You know when you're saying the same thing all the time. Hmm. Stop doing that. They do it again. Don't be doing that. Don't do it again. Bang, 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 bang. That bang. sounds like Merlo on a date and the girl having to have a word with him. Ah, Jesus, <laughs> man, you relax yourself. Sounds like Golly Gunner Saltscar as well. Constantly <laughs> <laughs> saying the same thing over and over again and nobody listening to him. Paul, from you that's covered sport professionally, when you looked at Ali in a professional setting as in a press conference or whatever, were you looking at him going, is this guy even coherent? Because he was clearly spoofing his way through everything. Yeah, he was like a competition winner, really, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but it, 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 it was, was, was kind of like they, they wanted it to work. They just really, really wanted it to work. You know, they tried, uh, they tried Moyes, who was Ferguson's appointment. Then they tried uh, Louis van Gaal. And then they tried Mourinho, and then it was like, well, what do we do now? And Ole worked for a short period, and they made the mistake of giving him a contract. And because they made that mistake, they had to back him up, kind of pretend it was actually working, you know? And, you know, the only kind of decent, like, you know, United had had a decent season last season, but it wasn't a proper season, really. Like, you know, like the fact that they had this... Like the season before that shouldn't be recognised. That was all right, Mero. I thought that was a good season. (laughs) The last few were curtailed a little bit by COVID, but no, no, I thought that was a a perfectly fine season. I'm I'm very very happy with that one, actually. (laughs) But the following season, uh, with, with, with... like it is amazing that United went on a record-breaking away run, uh, away from home run without anyone really noticing. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like mm. within three weeks of the end of it, Solskjaer was sacked. Like it, it didn't kind of amount to anything. Mm. Like, you know, usually you would expect if a team went a season and a half without losing an away match that they would win the league. Like that's mm-hmm. extraordinary form, but but it didn't it didn't really amount to anything and that was just because in that season there was no such thing as an away match and a home match everything was just because the grounds were empty everything was just a, a training ground match essentially you know um and Solskjaer did well in that time but like Liverpool had a terrible season last year or had kind of a three three months of terrible football last, last year and only finished five points behind United you know they weren't that far behind uh, and and you know United looked on that as something that they were going to build on, but I think Ferguson, not for the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time, t- completely screwed United over uh, this year with the with the Ronaldo thing. Like, you uh, screwed- where would they be without Ronaldo though? Well, they might be better off. They might still have Solskjaer as the manager. They might be like like Ronaldo better was a, off without one of the best players in the world. So when a, when a Liverpool fan is saying you know it yeah, might be better Jesus off, Christ, like oh, come on, I he just re- got them out of jail so many times this year. But but what does it amount to? You know, like like <clears throat> he's a player capable of great moments, like Steven Gerrard, right? Loads of great moments, 
but never won the league out of all of it. Like. That, that's a very slippy topic, though. Listen, Merry Christmas anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And Jordan Henderson is a better captain than Steven Gerrard. Well, yeah, I I think I think so. You know, but they're a better team. You know, they're they're they're, it isn't just like Jordan Henderson doesn't do what Gerrard did, which was you know try to win every match with nine shots from the edge of the box every time he gets the ball, like you know. Um, but I, I, I just think with the, with United, I, I, like I totally get what you mean about Solskjaer. There's great moments, and you're going to have there's going to be a hell of a, a YouTube compilation of his best moments when he retires. But it, it, he was brought in to win. That, that we were told that he's going, he's coming in. He's the missing piece. United need a goal scorer. They need that world class player who will help them win the league. They're not even going to make Champions League this year. Yeah, I don't, well, was, I don't think he was brought in for that, though, was he? It's just I, the fact that he, I, like, I don't think he was brought in to win the league. Come on, they're 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 about three, still three players short, but four they, players but, short. They finished second last year, and yeah. they bought Sancho. We were told for the last two years that Sancho was essentially the the, the new Maradona, uh, and he arrives, and he you know he can he's not even good enough to get his place in that United team. You know, Varane, Ronaldo. You know, they keep buying these players and they say, well, that's the final piece now. They remind me of Liverpool in the 90s. It's like, he's the player now. This will make all the difference. And it doesn't make all the difference. And like Ferguson, Ferguson screwed the club. He really screwed them in, you know, he he, he fell out with the owners so that they, so the owners ended up selling uh, to the Americans. The, the, the much maligned Americans who run the club, who I'm very sympathetic towards. I think they've done a fantastic job. <laughs> uh, then he retired and gave them, what, two weeks' notice of his retirement, if even that? If even, yeah. If you to leave your job tomorrow, how much notice would you have to give? Two weeks. Four weeks. How oh, no, far is it? Sorry. Mine, mine was three months, right? But Ferguson, gave him, Ferguson basically said, right, that's the end of that go find my replacement. And they rushed into the Moyes appointment on his advice, right? And then he's still hanging around the club. He's still there in the, in the director's box. And then if, you know, what we're told is right, you know, he intervened on the Ronaldo to Man City story and said, no, 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 rang him and said, no, you got to come to United, uh, which totally undermined Solskjaer because Solskjaer is, was not a big enough personality, not a big, a big enough character to deal with somebody like Ronaldo. Yeah, but a manager's not going to turn down a chance to sign Ronaldo. And I mean, I think the whole Ferguson ringing him thing is like... Guardiola did. It's, tri- it's tribalism. It's like, no, you can't be playing for our rivals. So we'd rather you... What's that, Meryl, you know? Huh? Like, you saying like no manager would turn down Ronaldo. Jurgen Klopp would have turned him down. Yeah, but Jurgen Klopp has three unbelievable strikers. Yeah, but if, if, if Klopp was offered Ronaldo, he would have said he's 36 years of age, he's, he's a superstar, he will upset the balance of the team that we have, he's not the kind of player I'm looking for. I mean, look at Klopp. When Klopp got the offer for Coutinho, everybody said, why are you, why are you selling this player? He's magnificent. And Klopp is going, well, I can buy 
Alisson and Van Dijk and have money left over with the money I get from Coutinho and he doesn't fit into my team. He's not the kind of player uh, that, that fits into the system I want to play. Why not? And he, and, and he was never a £145 million player either. No, he wasn't, you know. I always remember, and you guys are much younger than me, but I always remember when Terry, when Terry Venables took over at Barcelona, the first thing he did was he sold Maradona right? And he sold the, probably the greatest player who's ever lived, like, you know, because he didn't fit into what Venables wanted to do. And that's perfectly okay to admit that as a, as a manager. Like, it's not, you're not building a testimonial team where you're, you're, you're you know, you're, you're picking, you know, the, se- the, you know, seven of the 10 best players in the world and trying to fit them into your team. You're, you're, you're trying to pick a team that will, you know, work for you over the next sort of three, four, five years. Um, so do you think Solskjaer did months for another? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think Solskjaer was even asked whether he wanted Ronaldo. I mean, don't forget, this is a manager who, who never parked in the manager's parking space because he was terrified of Alex Ferguson. You know he said that, right? No, no, respect, mm-hmm. though, no? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a respect. It's like... You know, no, is that Solskjaer? Solskjaer's interpretation of that would be a respecting. No, but see, look around, right? Any successful manager uh, in, any, in any team, like, and I, I, I'm, I'm talking about, like, Gaelic football, I'm talking about rugby, I'm talking about football. Uh, they're alphas. They're alpha males. And that is beta behavior. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it doesn't, it does not, it does not, like, it, you know, it seems, it seems a kind of shallow thing to say, but it, it, it do, if I was a player playing for Solskjaer and I heard he was, too, he was too scared to park in the manager's parking space because of this guy who's hanging around up in the stand, I would, have, I would lose respect for him straight away. You have to go in and own it from every yeah. second, every moment, and clearly... But your Moyes tried to do that and was criticised for it. What did Moyes do? Moyes cleared out the coaching staff, got rid of Mike Field and got rid of everyone and brought in his own staff and he was heavily criticised by United fans for doing so. So the idea that Solskjaer was coming back was part of the old guard and, you know, uh, bringing back Mike... Well, I know Mike Field was already back before Solskjaer came back, but, you know, bringing back the old guard, bringing back the old ways, the old suits and stuff like that. Um, so Which is a, that's all bollocks as well. But like, you know I mean? but, but like it happened though. No, 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 I know, but it's it's ridiculous. Like Mo- Moyes was criticised for getting rid of it. Solskjaer brought it back. What six years later? So see, I mean, they're they're all little they're all little silly things in yeah, regards you, to the whole management. The, the, the thing there though is it's that too soon kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So like, look, I I don't think either one of Moyes or Solskjaer is, is ever good enough and ever will be good enough to you know lead a club like Manchester United to success I, I just don't when, when Fergie retired who did, but, at the time who did you want to take over I honestly can't remember I've no idea do you know what Fergie, I mean do you remember um, Ancelotti was touted wasn't he it was talk of Carlo Ancelotti yeah yeah I, I, I honestly I don't remember who was around or who was available or who, who was linked with the job or anything like that but I just remember when I heard David Moyes' name went ugh do you know what I mean yeah, and I think same. I think yeah. Moyes coming in and doing all those things, they probably were the right thing to do to try and make your own, put your own stamp on it and say, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it my way. Uh, you know, Brian Clough at Leeds United. But it rarely works out when you've had a god 
at the top of your club because the fans are too emotionally attached. But so else that happened there like I don't think Ferguson in a million years would have recommended Ancelotti because you don't want your successor to be better than you 100% right. Ferguson's, Ferguson's ego has done more damage to so recommended somebody who who would be not quite as good as him who, who kind of represented continuity rather than revolution but I'm going to shock you now lads right <laughs> I think David Moyes would be a great choice for United manager now. Not the hope. No, no, no. I know no. they won't. They're too proud. Like just like they're too proud to appoint Brendan Rodgers, who'd also be a great, a great. No, and no, no, right? no, 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 no. Adam, he was fantastic, Gary. Like Liverpool, Adam. I can recommend this guy, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> I'll vouch for I'll vouch for Brendan, but they sacked Moyes too quickly. They didn't give him a, enough time. If they'd given him two or three years, he might well have been a very good manager. I mean, he's clearly not a terrible manager. Look, look what he's doing with West Ham. I mean, they're punching far above their weight. Yeah, but one swallow doesn't make a fucking summer. Like it, it, you know, two swallows. Yeah. I mean, they were very good last season. They're very they good. They haven't won in seven now. Yeah, but I mean, that's um, that can happen, you know. You get glitches. They, but David Moyes was touted as the top six, won't they, this year? Will they? No. I'm not. I'm not sure they will. I mean, he had what two decent seasons with Everton. The I'm prepared really to put five euro on the table, right? And I, and I've got that five euro in cash in my pocket, right? And say that I think West Ham will finish ahead. Of Manchester United this season. I, I will take your five euro bet and I'll raise you with a, a bag of peanut yeah, M&M's that you mentioned. Five or Danny, right? No, but I'll throw in a bag of peanut M&M's that you mentioned earlier on, Paul. All right, okay, I'll take right. those. I don't think they will. I, do, I, I don't see it happening. I tell you what, if West Ham finish ahead of United in the league, I will maintain your garden in Avoca, Paul, in drag. <laughs> May, <laughs> May, June, July and August of the summer it's all tarmac well, well I'll pick up the leaves or whatever he means with manscape, Paul <laughs> <laughs> alright I'll take that back I tell you I tell you who, who could sneak into the top six Palace Villa, Villa. Crystal nah. Palace my. no no, no they won't no, he could beat Southampton this evening did they not beat Southampton 2-0 no, Graham, it was too well. Oh, wow. They were winning and beating them 2 0. Sorry. They weren't yeah, beating them 2 0. They were losing 2 1 at one point. I was going to say it was 2 1 the last time I saw it. But anyway. I don't oh, think yeah. you have a future in broadcasting if you can't even <laughs> get a hold of that one. You don't, you don't have the charm of Chris Kamara to get away with it. Um, yeah, who won between uh, Shamrock Rangers and Fingal? Uh, Fingal. <laughs> The season's over, Westbury. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, very... I'm, a, I'm a Brit, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of stressing to believe it's been nearly two hours that we're doing this. Jesus, is it? It is, yeah. yeah. That yeah. Down to about 20 minutes, will you? All the Gary, Gary was very quiet tonight. Must be time of the month. No, I just enjoying enjoying being in everybody's company. That's yeah, a very, you, you won't uh, be asked back. 
It's a very insensitive comment, Graham, and I'd like you to apologise to the female listeners. What's the podcast? No, the two Johnnies wouldn't make a sexist comment like that. <laughs> you're 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 I contributing to the downfall of this podcast, Graham. Very woke, very woke. Two gentlemen, they were, you know. Yeah. And, um, brilliant. Really, really good. I drive down to Care again to. Do it, you know, lads. Why aren't we doing this in Fitzpatrick's castle tonight? Because I always kind of when, when I think of Christmas and you guys, I just think of us up there. In Fitz- Anyone come up from Leash, Paul? No, you're talking out your hole there again, Graham. Uh, <laughs> COVID is the main reason, but you were all fucking vaccinated. Well, well, we people. haven't contacted the hotel. We don't know if we're allowed it. Yeah, we, we, we don't know what the story is. We pair they're fucking happy as back. Oh. They're doing fuck all up there, I'd say. They're if a wonderful hotel. I oh, yeah, absolutely will, Graham. Try that comment. Going on up there. Come on, we need to. We should be up there for this, like you know. Air, for, yeah, Air Danny, Force Danny Hotel. Show the money. Air Force <laughs> Hotel. Air Force Hotel show. When we're all back, that's use will be the first people invited on. Regardless of what Graham American says, Gary, there's always a microphone open for you in this podcast. Do you know what we need to do? <clears throat> and Paul Howard is the the man to get us over the line. We need to get the four of us in a room. With Vincent Brown. Yes, Paul. <laughs> okay. Leave that Seriously, to me. Paul. Seriously. Leave that to me. I will I will I won't be in the room because I'm a bit frightened of him, you know. But uh, I used to work for him, you see. So you still I'm, see uh, him, Paul. A bit traumatized. I saw him on the pier about two weeks ago, yeah. So and did you have a chat? No, I just waved at him. Did he wave back? Uh no, I was in the water. <laughs> 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 I I want you to set up uh, a wine tasting with Chris DeBoer, Paul. Yeah, I I can make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Just don't be leveraging off leveraging off my two celebrity friends now. <laughs> Do you get the helicopter to pick us up, Paul? <laughs> I'll I'll bring the, the the crackers and cheese, the easy singles, and the Tesco Value water crackers. Um, <laughs> I'll bring the cheese board. Bring the cheese board, Meryl. And I meant to say to you, I know it's a tough. Christmas is a is a it's a happy time, but it's also a sad time, and it's that time of year when we when we think of the people who are with us, but also think of the people who aren't with us. And I know you've um, you lost um, uh, two people who were very dear to you in the last couple of years. You know, yeah. the last year was it? Yeah, last year, yeah, twenty twenty. And you lost your grandparents. So um, I say to you what I say to everybody around this time of year. You know, people who've lost people. I'd be thinking of you. And thinking about, you know, what you're, Thank you. what you're thinking of on Christmas Day, just as I'd be thinking of the people missing from my life as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Goes right back at you as well, because you're a brother as well, so. Yeah, yeah. Shit show. Yeah, but that's, um, Christmas brings these things home to you, doesn't it? You know, the people, the people missing from around your table, the people who were there in, in years past and who aren't there this year. So, anyway. Sorry to here, 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 here. <laughs> um, Jesus, that before, podcast, serious that podcast. Well, from fucking talking the D, theology, the DNT to, must be wearing <laughs> off. He's getting all mellow now. <laughs> <laughs> right, now bef- bef- <laughs> before we wrap it up, before we wrap it up, uh, Paul, you have told a story which will feature on Christmas on RT. I'll try it again on RT around Christmas time again this year. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, Sunday miscellany. Uh, on Christmas Day, I've told the story of my wanker coat. 
which which long time listeners may be slightly familiar with. But yeah, it's a it's a sort of sheepskin. Actually, Mary keeps saying to me, "Stop describing it as a sheepskin sheepskin jacket. It's a shearling jacket. Oh, oh, oh. okay, okay yeah. lamb." rather than sheep right so the young lamb it's, it's like when you eat lamb it's more tender when they get them young you know so um <laughs> it's a shearling coat uh it was it was the coat uh where i, I walked into um brady's in shank hill one year wearing it and somebody went wanker <laughs> <laughs> it's always been known as the, as my wanker coat like you know and i did I said it in the miscellany piece. Like I, I saw myself in a window, a shop window on Clambrassel Street one year, and I said, "Who's that wanker?" Right, and and it was me, and it was, right, and I didn't know until I saw my reflection. But um, anyway, I was telling the story on the in in Sunday miscellany Christmas Day at nine o'clock in the morning or something. But I think they'll they'll put it on the podcast just about the. Um, the time I wore it in New York and fashion is like anything else. It's all about context and timing. And my coat, my <laughs> coat found its moment in New York. And this fella shouted, Hey, old school at me. And I turned and he said, man, I love that coat. <laughs> very much. But then he followed me 30 blocks shouting at me. Give me that motherfucking coat. Hey, old school. Give me that motherfucker fucking coat and then he was <laughs> he was sort of mixing threats with compliments like you know so he'd be saying uh all the style old school all the style you were all the style old school and then a second later it was like i'll fucking cut you unless you give me that motherfucking coat and he followed me 30 blocks and mary and i sort of <laughs> jumped into the shop up on the the upper west side uh, up in the up in the seventies, was on Columbus Avenue, right? And uh, Mary's trying on a dress or something behind the curtain, you know. And the woman in the shop says to me, the manager as she said to me, "Yeah, you know, honey, I like your coat." And I said, "Oh, thanks very much." And she said, uh, <laughs> "I said it, it sort of divides opinion, actually. This coat, like <laughs> at home, people don't seem to like it, and over here they seem to they seem to like it too much." And she said, "Well." I love it, she says, you know. And then she said to me, by the way, is that gentleman with you? And I turned around and there's your man looking through the window, right? <laughs> two hands against the window, his face framed in the two hands. Hey, old school, give me that motherfucking coat. He was shouting all the place, you know. Did you ever respond to him? No, the cops came and took him away, right? Now, I think he was... Um, uh, what was that drug you mentioned earlier, Gary? DNT. 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 He was on something. He was. On, I think he might have been on the pipe. This guy, like you know, and um, met, crystal meth or something. Something <clears throat> like that, you know. But he, he, he. Anyway, my coat was triggering something in him, and uh, but the, but two of New York's finest eventually arrived and uh, and and took him away. You know, and that was how we were able to leave the shop after about two hours. <laughs> But well, it, um, always, I'll be putting it on next week, Meryl. You know, I'll be wearing it around town. Deadly. Uh, and it's a, it's a coat that's always provoked opinions. It's always provoked, you know, shouts from the other side of the street as well. So, um, it's, Danny, we're tweeted occasionally about it, aren't we? We are, yeah. People, people still remember uh, when you mention that on this podcast. Uh, you, won't, you won't get to wear it to the two Johnnies because uh, you get better up and care for wearing it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. there, I know there's a because of the pandemic and all that, but is there any update on Valley Rack Boys? Yeah, yeah, it's done. Oh, what do you mean it's done? Can you elaborate? Written it, end of. All right, all right, all right. Hang on. When we press, when we when we press stop recording, we'll ask some more questions, lads. It's done. The contract is signed. Right. <gasps> uh, I've I've signed a contract to write the series. I've written episode one. I've plotted out the whole first season, and I'm hoping that by the time we talk this time next year, uh, we'll be filming. That's Jesus Christ! Really? Right. Uh, okay. Brilliant. Really excited about it. I've poured my heart and soul into it like this. More than anything I, else I've ever done is, it, it, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's my life, essentially, you know. Unbelievable. So, uh, so the two Johnnies won't be extras in it. We will. Hmm. Oh, gee. I mean, I wouldn't even see us as extras. I would kind of see you as sort of central players in it, like, you know. <laughs> uh, you all have the acting experience. Uh, Nero, you've proved it on Fair City, like, you know. Um, Danny, Jesus Christ! I mean, no one can say you don't you don't love a camera. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, camera doesn't love you, you know. And uh, you know, Gary, Jesus, what can I say? You know, Mister Charisma, like you know, um, I, I don't think I don't think we'll even be casting for your parts. I think you're walking. <laughs> I'm That's great news, though, Paul. Is is it six episodes? Yeah, I'm going to write six episodes, and um, and that that'll be that's the first season, you know, so I kind of know exactly what's going to happen in those first episodes, first six <clears> and <throat> for a while, you know, so it's sort of loosely based on, on my childhood, but there's kind of, there's extra bit, there's other people's childhoods thrown in there as well, you know, so it's just about what a weird and wonderful and colorful place, uh, Cromlech Fields especially was, uh, when I was growing up, you know, and will, will you be looking to record it in, in Cromlock Fields? The oh, Jesus, yeah. I mean, it, it. I would kind of like. I would kind of consider that really, really important to, because location is really important for me. It's kind of like the sort of Derry Girls thing or um, Young Offenders or something like that. Like if you said to the, the lads who made Young Offenders, "Oh, we really like it, but we want to move it to." Bath in England, or if you said to Derry girls, we love it, but we want to we want to situate it in Galway, uh, they'd be fur- furious because uh, the the location is really really important to me, you know. And um, and, yeah, and 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 sort of there's just something really special about about Cromlech Fields as well, you know. Um, you, you know that hill. I mean, that hill, which is almost like a 45-degree gradient where we used to put Jason Moy in a shopping trolley and push him down there and stuff like that. Like, you know, how you couldn't represent that anywhere else. Like, that has to, it has to be done there, you know. Plus, it's really quiet there now. There doesn't seem to be any kids around anymore, you know. So uh, you're, you're a cul-de-sac, there's no kids. No, there's not, you know. It's really quiet. And I was back there... Uh, two years ago, we were doing some filming there and I couldn't believe how quiet it was because I was saying to Adrian McCarthy who was making the documentary about Ross, he wants to go back to where I grew up and we're wandering around the streets and I said, oh, wait till you see Cromlech. It's just going to be so colourful, full of kids, full of madness, you know? Jesus, it was like walking around an empty film lot in, 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 in Los Angeles or something like, you know, waiting for actors to arrive. It was just really, really strange. But... 
I suppose everybody's grown up and moved on, you know, and they're not kids anymore. They have kids and they're in playing PlayStation, I suppose. And so it's, it's science sealed delivered and it's, it's happening. Yeah. Brilliant. Happy Excellent. days. Excellent. And then uh, the, the last thing we'll plug for you, then, and that's our, that's our three obligatory plugs as per the contract set out by Lewis Hamilton and Co. solicitors, is <laughs> uh, yeah, the Coppers, the musical, is back. Oh, yeah, that's coming back in, um, in August, July and August next year. Three weeks in Dublin at the Olympia, and then we're taking it on the road to Limerick. And so it's in the UL. And then we're taking it to the Opera House in Cork. So we've got a five-week run all together. Amazing. It'd be, it'd be a great night out, lads. Fully recommend it. Uh, it'll do a lot better than Garth Brooks tickets. I'll say that much. <laughs> Gentlemen, Gary, it's, been, it's been great. Gary, where can anybody listen to our podcast? Um, well, you can listen to it on, on um, Spotify. Uh, Acast, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and if you have the Live Score app, you can now listen to it on that. And also on RTE Player. Just how, do you find, how do they find us? What do they have to search? Just search wtspod.com. Yeah, if, um, if you're watching it on the RTE Player, um, Angus McRaina will flash up on screen five times, and if you guess all five times right, you win a prize. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Brad Pitt and Fight Club, but with yeah. Angus McGrainer. We're on Twitter as well, at WTSPod. We're at WTSPod.com. We're at Search WTSPod on any podcast provider that Gary outlined. And Danny is at Danjo Murray. I'm at Merrigan Mania. And the two lads are at Gar Mackle and AKA Paul Howard. They are a good follow, particularly um, when Paul's tweets go viral in... In, in in the mainland um, <laughs> oh we didn't even talk about that was fucking gold yeah. it was absolutely gold <laughs> it was absolutely oh, brilliant I, tough time for me like you know <laughs> and, uh, we, we we left the house uh, we moved down to our holiday home in um, in Kerry for, for a couple of weeks you know probably overreacted looking back you know, <laughs> essentially I like I, I like I just like trolling Man United fans, you know. And I just tweeted some. I just tweeted, um, anyone who loves football would have to agree that it's really hard to watch what's happening at Man United at the moment. And uh, I said, uh, you know, that was it, you know. So I tweeted that, and for about an hour, it was just my followers saying you prick and all the rest. And that, was <laughs> that was just my dad, Paul. <laughs> yeah, your dad did actually. Yeah, he he waited pretty quickly actually, and I thought he overreacted to it. Like I thought, you know, it was a joke, and I thought Mero should have taken it as such. But it's classic aggressive lesbian behaviour. <laughs> you know, Piers Morgan uh, saw the tweet. Jesus, that's right. Yeah, I quote tweeted it saying, "I'm actually delighted what's happening with United." You know, this <laughs> fucking idiot, like who just. <laughs> Like he'd fall, he'd fall for anything, that guy. Like, you know, even a bunch of lads on a stag night pretending they're torturing prisoners in, uh, in Abu Ghraib and sell the pictures to the Daily Mirror. He would fall for anything. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he quote tweeted it. And of course, the next thing, uh, I'd like something like 45,000 quote tweets from every single, fans of every single club in England hating on me, right? Saying Leeds fans 
Chelsea fans, City fans, oh, I fucking love it. Who the fuck does this guy think he is? You know? <laughs> and the only fans I, who actually loved me at the end of it were United fans, right? Twice, <laughs> I went to bed that night and the next morning I had 800 new followers. And I started scrolling down through them. They were all United fans, right? They all had Ollie at the wheel, Ollie's at the wheel in their little um, profiles. And I thought, oh, Jesus, lads, there's been a massive mistake. If you t- <laughs> you're coming to me for, for comfort at this difficult time. I'm Did gonna- I say, Paul, it like 70,000 replies or something? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it went mad. I mean, it was almost as bad as the time when I said, uh, Fairy Tale in New York isn't a Christmas song. Like, it, it, it was that bad. Like, you know, we did. We left the house for a little while. Uh, things got pretty, pretty tough, you know. And, um, but look, as always happens with Twitter, like three or four months later, you can go back and live in your house again and <laughs> back on as if nothing happened. And, um, you know, what's the harm, I think? Deadly. Excellent. I can't wait for the next one, Paul. I can't wait for the next one. That was some outro was gentlemen uh, it's been a pleasure the tradition lives on i'm very happy to say and to you and yours a very very happy christmas merry christmas lads merry, merry christmas, christmas everyone and next christmas definitely in fitzpatrick's and if we're not if we're not doing it in fitzpatrick's we'll just do it in my kitchen or something we'll just no, we oh, go to one of one of paul's 10 houses <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it in fitzpatrick's in new york next year oh, even better yeah. Even better. Press John Fitzpatrick. He's getting a lot. We've mentioned him a few times on this, right? He's getting great publicity out of this, right? Yeah. But Johnny's have just done a podcast in New York, by the way. Uh, they were over there for Christmas. I mean, their product placement is fantastic. Big influencers, all the rest, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit more. So it's only, it's only five years behind us doing in Las Vegas, Paul. But look, who's 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 judging these things? Because I'm not. I'm certainly not resentful. Yeah, right. But what I'm saying is, right, we, we should be in New York. That's where we belong. Right, Gary? Absolutely. 100%. Let's raise the bar. Let's not just be content with Kalini. We've been there. We've done right. that, right? Yeah. Further. And, and, and invite Chris the Borg as well. Listen, I'll, I'm happy to bring my two celebrity friends, right? <laughs> you can get us to New York, all right? If, if not New York, at le- we'll at least settle for Greystones. No, okay. We won't. No, okay. <laughs> okay, until, until next time. We, we, me, and, me and Danny will be back in the new year. And until next time, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Happy Christmas, guys. Happy, Happy Christmas, Christmas, everybody. Guys.